1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
0: Believe. June is here. Now what? That could apply to a lot of things these days, but we're going to apply it to college football on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. Hope we can do whatever we can to make your day a little better. And uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Thank you so much for uh, spending part of your day with us. Our special guest for this week's program is a guy who knows all and sees all when it comes to college football. He is Stuart Mandel, the editor-in-chief of college football coverage at The Athletic. Also co-hosts The Audible podcast with uh, my man Bruce Feldman. So... We're going to talk about a lot of different things with this being the month of June, a lot of decisions on the forefront uh, coming up this month that will likelihood, and will dictate how the season takes shape for college football in the fall. Plus, I want to get his thoughts on Stanford as well. As he wrote in the Athletics Series State of the Program, he wrote the installment for Stanford football. Is The Cardinal obviously in a very intriguing spot right now. We'll talk Cardinal with him and I'm definitely interested in getting his thoughts on the odds that things not only get started on time but finish on time as well. So looking forward to having this chat with Stuart Mandel of The Athletic coming up a bit later on in the show plus three things you need to know around Stanford football. Who am I? I am Troy Clarity. Hi, how you doing? Um, It's the original plan was to was to post this episode on Tuesday, but um, it didn't seem quite right. Just didn't seem quite right to post an episode on Tuesday. So here we are um, on Wednesday, and um, obviously it's been a tough week on the national scene, but we are certainly glad that you are taking time out and uh, spending a part of uh, part of your day here with us. And if you're new to the TreeCast, number one, welcome. Number two, what took you so long? Number three, check out some of our previous shows, some of the interviews that we've done with fantastic guests. Last week alone, we had Senator Cory Booker. That was pretty cool. Along with Stanford Hoops great Brevin Knight. That was pretty cool too. David Shaw's been on the show. Jared Haas has been on the show. Uh, David Esker, the Stanford baseball coach, has been on. Naomi Gurma, star for Stanford women's soccer, has been on the show as well. So a lot of great conversations that we have had over the past uh, couple of months since joining the Believe Podcast Network. And if you missed any of those, uh, I think a lot of them are worth your time. So uh, head back into the vault and check out uh, the TreeCast and uh, the previous shows that we have had to this point so far. I have not really been on Twitter that much. I've kind of been taking a Twitter break over the last few days. It kind of reached a point where it wasn't so good for my mental health. So even so, you've got thoughts on Stanford football, Stanford athletics. Love to hear them. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to get that done. And of course, the Believe Podcast Network, 260 plus shows strong. Not just sports, but also other facets of life that you're into, BLEAV.com, BLEAV.com, and uh, if you want to advertise on the show, hit the advertise section on Believe.com and say, hey, we want to be part of the TreeCast, and I'm sure they would love to have that conversation. We're going to start with three things that you need to know around Stanford Athletics, as we normally do on this show. Let's begin with number one. <coughs> Well, the fall quarter is starting to take some shape uh, at Stanford University. And on Tuesday, Stanford's Faculty Senate Steering Committee voted to start fall quarter a week early. So placing things the start of class the first day of instruction at September the 14th. So they'll start the fall quarter the fall quarter week early. This is what the Faculty Steering Committee voted on. Starting the fall quarter week early, ending classes before Thanksgiving, and then have finals taken remotely in the first week of December. Much of this is to avoid and lessen the effects uh, that are expected in the second wave of the coronavirus. Still no decision on whether campus will be open To all students and if so to what degree how much online learning will need to be done all those decisions are still yet to be announced as I say this meanwhile Stanford athletics also has not announced when student-athletes will be allowed back for voluntary activities the NCAA uh, voting to do just that a couple weeks ago starting on June 1st Uh, schools can now have athletes back student athletes back uh, for voluntary activities Uh, no word from stanford on when that's going to be the case for uh for, for the cardinal athletic programs uh because that probably largely hinges on both state regulations and county decisions as well so once i'm sure stanford gets more clarification on things at the state and county level then we'll probably start to see some announcements and some movement on getting the student athletes back for voluntary activities. But things are starting to take some shape as we get deeper and deeper into what we hope and get closer and closer to what we hope uh, is the fall sports season. Let's get to number two. You thought Stanford Men's Basketball's recruiting class of 2020 was done? Uh-uh-uh, not so fast. Jared Hass and the boys hard at work nabbing a fifth signee guard michael o'connell who signed with stanford on monday he's originally from new york state and he uh, comes to a stanford via new jersey's blair academy that's a that's a wrestling powerhouse stanford with a couple of uh, young men uh, on their wrestling uh, squad who uh, came from uh, Blair Academy, and they've been a great contributors uh, to Stanford Wrestling over the years. But apparently they can play a little ball, too. At least O'Connell can. Averaged 18 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists per game last year. He was also a lacrosse standout and actually committed to Maryland. That's a big deal of that sport. Maryland, one of the powerhouses in men's lacrosse on the collegiate level. But the lure of basketball and the lure of Stanford a bit too strong. So he decommitted in April. A few uh, hoops programs came calling, including Stanford and Michael O'Connell signed on the dotted line to come to the farm and become a tree. So congrats to Michael O'Connell and the Stanford men's hoops. Just keep getting it done and continuing what has been a fantastic offseason for them so far. Let's finish it up with number Three. three. Of course, the big news this week, the past week or so, has been the protests in Minneapolis, the situation with uh, George Floyd, um, his death in in Minneapolis police custody, and the reaction to that amongst uh, various corners. And it has certainly been um, an eye-opener for a lot of people across the country, and it's opened up a lot of reaction certainly across Stanford Athletics. A poignant open letter from Stanford Athletic Director uh, Bernard Muir that I believe is well worth your while. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, head to go stanford.com and read it. I highly suggest it. David Shaw, Stanford football head coach, tweeting on Tuesday, quote, I love coaching at Stanford because I am constantly surrounded by intelligent, competitive, high-character individuals. In the midst of my anger and pain, I am again inspired by my team. We stand united for equality and justice. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. That's from David Shaw via Twitter on Tuesday. Stanford football student-athletes, Thomas Booker, Curtis Robinson, Malik Antoine, and many others have also weighed in with with some poignant thoughts. Jared Haas, Stanford Women's Soccer, Stanford Women's Gymnastics, also showing their support for what the demonstrators are, are, are demonstrating against uh, and doing that via Twitter uh, Plenty of similar reaction uh, Across the sports spectrum And I admittedly haven't been on Twitter Much over the past few days As, uh, as I alluded to at the top of the show But I've noticed I, I've certainly noticed a lot of, of, of that reaction uh, Supporting what the demonstrations Are all about And I say I have to make the demarcation Between the, pro- the demonstrations And not the foolishness that, that usually happens After the lights go out There's the school of thought that says stick to sports, and some of you might be saying that to me right now. I get it. And sometimes, sometimes sticking to sports is an appropriate thought. Not now. Not now. Especially when there are no sports. Those are three things. You heard the reaction from David Shaw on what we've seen across this country over the past week. Uh, again, I highly encourage you to see Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir's reaction. Some reaction from folks, obviously outside of the Stanford community. Uh, Arizona Football Head Coach Kevin Sumlin or Oregon State Football Head Coach Jonathan Smith, among others, up and down the Pac-12. They've they've weighed in. Uh, they've they've given their reaction. Here's mine. And what I've seen over the past week, and what I've Noticed amplified over the past few years, especially, is not America. At least it's it's not my America. And make no mistake, I, I am an American. I was born with the same civil rights that most of you were born with as American citizens. That my parents as American citizens were not born with. That my grandparents as American citizens had to fight for. And I'll be damned if I, if I have those civil rights taken away from me in, in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, if and when I have those. That's not happening. I may not look or think like most of you who listen to this show, and that's okay, that's cool. That's the point. Th- that, that's, that's what America's all about, right? I mean, it always rankles me when when people refer to, shall we say, undiverse places as real America and the people who live there as real Americans. I know what that's code for and why that resonates with some people. To those folks, I say this, I live in a diverse area. I hear different languages spoken every day I see and hear different cultures and ideas every day. I'm married to someone who doesn't look like me. And my wife, I love her to death. And we have some different approaches, some different perspectives on things based on on our respective upbringings, but we still share a lot of the same core values. That's real America. A real America recognizes my rights as an American citizen And recognizes me as a human being. And that goes for everyone. Not just me. It goes for everyone. Even those who don't look or think like the people in charge. A real America realizes that law and order is no substitute for justice and peace. A real America also has leadership at its highest levels that is not about just what's in it for them, but recognizes and is interested in what we all can be as Americans. That's real America. That's my America. This is not. I'm an American, but this, what we've seen this past week, especially, And some of the things that we have seen on the increase over the past three plus years, it's not America, it's not America. If you've got thoughts, I highly welcome them, as always. Hashtag TreeCast, best way to go to share your thoughts. Hashtag TreeCast. Maybe by the end of the week, I'll be fully back up to speed on on my tweet deck. But uh, hashtag TreeCast is the way to go there. Stuart Mandel, editor-in-chief of The Athletic, coming up in just a moment or so. But first, a reminder that without the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball might be on the shelf for a while from the sound of it, That's okay. BetOnline still has hundreds of things for you to wager on. NASCAR, of course, is back. They have online casino with poker and blackjack. Still plenty of uh, things to do in that respect. Head to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Well, the calendar has turned to June, and that means we are closer to the college football season. We think... For more on that and for more on the weeks ahead and just how important and critical uh, the next few weeks are to deciding what actually happens this upcoming fall, very pleased to be joined on this week's TreeCast by a guy who has his finger firmly on the pulse of all things college football as the editor-in-chief of The Athletics. College football coverage did a fantastic state of the program on Stanford football a couple of weeks or so ago, and he's also the co-host of The Audible podcast with Brian Bruce Felton, another great guy, Stuart Mandel, making his debut on the TreeCast this week. Stuart, a pleasure to have you jump in on this. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing outstanding. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks a bunch for the time. And and, and, and let's start here. Uh, it's June. NCAA is allowing voluntary workouts starting today with schools deciding which dates to bring people back. And of course, there are a lot of different variables that schools are using to decide which dates they want to try to, to, to bring their bring their student-athletes back on a voluntary basis. Uh, overall, set the stage for us. What's at stake? What what could we possibly see as far as uh, what, what the decision-makers could be coming up with and what they might be grappling with over the next few weeks?
1: It's going to be very interesting to see how it all goes. I mean, a lot of these schools have put a lot of thought into the plan for, I mean, these kids are coming back and they're being tested for COVID Uh, as soon as they come back. I believe in most cases, you know, there's social distancing guidelines. Guys are going to be limited to how many guys can work out in a weight room at the same time. And this will be a little bit of a, I guess a little bit of a sneak peek for how this might work when there's a football, when there's a training camp, when there's a football season, how will they manage if somebody tests positive? Um, Can you, basically keep uh, people from getting infected with the measures that they're taking. Um, I think everybody's been watching this, this very closely because we do. We have a wave of schools that are already beginning either this week or next week.
0: Yeah, and it should be interesting how how all these schools do, uh, uh, or approach uh, approach these different things. And I think that that's kind of a, an interesting thing in this dynamic that kind of throws a, a bit of maybe a monkey wrench perhaps into it, because it's been tough to have such a, a unified response to this, A, because there's no playbook for it, and B, because it seems like different areas of the country you hear, you know, SEC schools approaching things differently than perhaps Big Ten and certainly Pac-12 PAC schools as well. How do you think that that dynamic with so many things uh, being so different around the country, how do you think that that dynamic has kind of a, has, has kind of affected things so far?
1: Well, I think it seemed to me that that and throughout this this time period, it, it, it's been hard to track what the leaders are thinking at a given time because it seems to change by the week. Because what we know about the virus changes by the week. What seemed to really, it just seemed like overnight, it went from the conversation went from how late can we push this and still not have to delay the season to all of a sudden, how quickly can we get the kids back? And what I think the biggest factor was is that in a lot of these states, for instance, Ohio, gyms were opening back up. It really it had to do with the fact that the economies were opening back up and suddenly gyms are opening back up and schools felt like, well, we'd rather have the kids here working out under our supervision than going to a 24 hour fitness um, near their house. So that kind of spurred, I think, uh, an acceleration of plans to get kids back to campus. But obviously in some parts of the country, especially here in the Bay Area, that's not even an option yet. So um, I don't think it's that big a deal that some, right now, that some schools can bring kids back and some can't. The issue is obviously gonna be if this extends to training camp. And if the Bay Area or, you know, if, if Santa Clara County still has a very strict uh, shelter in place where Stanford just cannot have players back, when the rest of the country is starting training camp, that's going to put them at a disadvantage.
0: Overall, college football has, as as the college football world has grappled with this and tried to figure out how to cope with this, uh, what, in your estimation, has the college football world gotten right as far as how they've handled it? And, and what sort of big question marks do you still have going forward?
1: I would say it's been, the thing that's been the most encouraging is the fact that the Power Five conferences have been coordinating so closely Uh, They've been having, the commissioner has been having a daily call every morning for, I think, since mid-March. And this is a sport that doesn't have a centralized leadership, doesn't have a commissioner, doesn't have a league office. And oftentimes these conferences, I mean, they compete on the field. And oftentimes they are only concerned about what's best for them. And so there has been a lot of coordination uh, in that regard. I think the, um, I guess you would say... Um, alarming at times is that a lot of people are making these very important decisions about the safety of the players. And it just feels like sometimes they don't know all the information they need to know. Uh, i I personally think it's too soon for players to be coming back. I don't think um, we know enough yet, but a lot of these ADs school presidents feel like they've got a good handle on things and there's no point waiting any longer. So right now, you know, like I said, it's still early. We don't know what we're going to know by August or September, but I do definitely get concerned when I hear schools talking about having 40,000 people in the stands in September, because that doesn't seem realistic to me. And it certainly seems like it would be a recipe for disaster. But I also concede that I'm not a public health expert. I don't know what will be considered uh, safe by early September. Yeah, certainly a lot can change between
0: now and then. A lot will change, I'd imagine, between now and then. And oh, by the way, uh, there might be a second wave. There, in all likelihood, will be a second wave of this cropping up at some point during the fall and the winter. Uh, I had uh, U.S. Senator Cory Booker uh, on the show last week, and that was one of his major concerns about how uh, college sports uh, is handling this. H- how much concern do you sense? How much urgency, perhaps, do you sense? Or maybe not urgency isn't quite the right word, but concern do you sense? Uh, among the college football decision makers about about things not being able to finish and what to do if there is that second wave that crops up uh say in early November or so
1: a lot of concern that's why you've seen uh, a lot of schools Notre Dame was the first one I, I remember but a lot of schools now doing the same thing where they're moving the start of the semester up so that when when um students return home for Thanksgiving they don't come back and and possibly bring back what, what they might have uh, been exposed to back in their various parts of the country. But of course there's no guarantee that, that the second wave is going to wait till Thanksgiving and Bob Bowlesby, the big 12 commissioner for one has been very blunt and, and candid about, he doesn't think we will get through a whole season without teams having to stop uh, and games having to be canceled um, because there's just, there's going to be second waves, third waves, there's going to be outbreaks. I think that's one reason why there you see, the one thing you do see, I think at this point, very unified approach to is we're no longer talking about delaying the start of the season. You know, that was talked about a lot early on, but like I said earlier, it was, it, it's been a learning process for everybody. And I think as we learn more about it and you start to, and they start to realize that that, that cold and flu season wave could be a real thing. Uh, there's no longer talk about delaying the season. Everybody wants to start the season on time. And part of that is knowing that it may have to, stop at some point and they may have to stop it and pick it back up or certain schools may have to cancel games and try to reschedule them later could be uh uh it's certainly going to be a, a season unlike any other we've experienced yeah and that will certainly have an effect on the postseason potentially and that's a whole different set of things
0: uh that uh, that might be a better for conversation a bit later on down the road uh, all right quick uh, quick role play here you stuart mandel are the king of college football ruler of all you survey in the sport a kid or a coach test positive in season what happens next
1: gosh i mean that's something that i don't feel entirely comfortable wading into because i'm not a health expert but um if we if we i mean for instance the ncaa put out a lot of guidelines about this and so if they're going to follow those guidelines, as soon as a player tests positive, that player has to be isolated. You have to figure out who he's come into contact with most recently and test them. Testing is really going to be the key to this whole thing. And some of us were a little bit alarmed when the SEC put out their announcement. That's sort of been two Fridays ago now about, OK, we're going to let teams start coming back. And it listed a bunch of um, policies they had to follow. Testing symptomatic players was one of them, but there was no mention of testing asymptomatic players. The only way this is gonna work is if they're able to regularly test, by regularly I mean at least a couple times a week, every member of the program. If not, you're, what's the point, right? We, we know by now that asymptomatic people can pass on this virus. And if you're not trying to stay ahead of that, you do risk one person infecting a whole bunch of people on the team. So um, I think to, to answer your original question, If they are testing regularly, enough, it should be that one positive test doesn't doesn't, um, cause a huge outbreak because they would have already been testing regularly and they'd be able to contain that fairly quickly. The problem is going to be if either you don't have access to the test or if it's too expensive. Um, I've seen various figures thrown out there about how much it would cost to test. You know, between players, coaches, support staff, you're talking about 150 or so people twice a week or more. Obviously, the cost of that's going to add up. $65
0: $65 a test. Uh, I think I saw somewhere as far as uh, how that much might cost, and you started to add those up. And it, it's a whole different set of uh, issues uh, uh, for college sports as it tries to grapple with all this, and obviously not just for football, but for all the other fall sports uh, as well. Now let's talk about Stanford football. Uh, the Athletic is doing uh, the state of the program, going through all of the FBS programs and giving, giving nice little snapshots, uh, position breakdowns. You wrote Stanford state of the program that appeared on The Athletic. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Stanford obviously at a crossroads right now, four and eight last season. Uh, What what did you make overall of the Cardinal last year? Was that just a blip in the road due to all the injuries, especially on the offensive line? Or perhaps were there some other forces at work here that might be a bit more troubling uh, for Stanford football at this point?
1: There's obviously no, you know, you can't uh, discount the injuries. It's about as bad, you know, in, in reporting about this year's team, just the number of guys who, when you talk to coaches, well, he missed this much time. He, he was, he, we had him for one game and then he was out for the season. It was, it's crazy. And certainly that affected their record. But I think that there's some underlying issues as well. And um, it, it didn't, I mean, yes, it's a big dip from nine and four to four and eight, but the record had been, Going down a little bit in the years before, and just behind the scenes, I certainly think with Shannon Turley, that was obviously a, a, a significant um, setback for that program. Mike Bloomgren leaving a couple years ago, obviously assistant coaches leave that happens, but he was a, a such a, a important guy um, in their success uh, for the past several years. So, and then I just think recruiting, um, they had that one amazing class in twenty seventeen, but there's been a lot of other misses. And um, because I live close by, I usually try to go to a couple of their practices in the preseason. And I remember going to one last preseason and and you could, you just thinking like, I don't see a lot of the elite difference making kind of guys that you're used to seeing uh, in past years. Certainly no Christian McCaffrey or Bryce Love on offense. So I, it's not surprising to me that they had a down year. I think Obviously, it's how bad it got, the fact that they went 4-8 and after all these years of 9, 10, 11, or 12 wins.
0: Heck, Blake Martinez and Shane Scoves, those kind of guys have been kind of tough to come by for Stanford, it seems, uh, over over the past uh, few years or so. But they do have a quarterback in Davis Mills. Shrugged off a lot of his injury history and did some good things throughout much of last season when he he was handed the reins um, as the starting quarterback filling in for KJ Costello last year. You look at the Pac-12 quarterback hierarchy as it seems to sit right now. Where where do you think Davis might potentially fit uh, within that mix among the other uh, perhaps higher profile quarterbacks in the Pac-12 as the season looms?
1: Pretty high up there because this is a conference that's always known for having really good quarterbacks, but the ones out of the guys coming back, I think Keenan Slovis is a star. I think he'll be, you know, there's no reason why he can't be, you know, a Heisman contender and an all American contender. He's that good. Um, and I think Jaden Daniel showed signs last year at Arizona state that he could become a star after that. There's a lot of guys who are still just emerging and Davis Mills is one of them. And certainly, um, of those guys, probably the most decorated recruit, right? Five-star guy who, um, if you look back at that year's rankings, he was higher rated than Tua, which, which is saying something. So, um, yeah, I think he has a chance to be a, a really good quarterback, and that is, without question, the strength of their team right now. They've, it's been a little um, jarring after all those years of being known as the Smash Mouth team. They they are a passing team now. That's the strength of that of Stanford right now, is their quarterback and their receivers. Yeah, that's going to be a lot
0: of fun to watch, and uh, with the young running backs and hey, with with the healthy offensive line, who knows how things could go uh, for Stanford offensively uh, when next season rolls around. David Shaw, the all time winningest coach in, in Stanford football history, I think he does get a lot of respect nationally. Maybe not so much locally. I I just kind of don't get that sense. How much do you think David Shaw gets enough respect either locally or and or nationally?
1: I know he gets the respect nationally. If he's not getting the respect locally, that's just nuts because the locals have should know the history of Stanford football enough to know just how remarkable the last decade has been. Obviously, last season was rough. Um, you know, I think there are valid criticisms to make of David Shaw. His kind of conservative play calling in certain situations drives people nuts sometimes uh, I get that um, but in general what he's accomplished at that program the three pac 12 titles uh, should not be taken for granted that's not this this pa- I remember the funny thing is going into last, I did the stay of the program going into last season and when I was in his office and I had figured out that if they won just six games last year which at the time you would think is a given they would have averaged 10 wins a year in that decade, which is insane. Now they didn't get to six wins, which who would have seen that coming before. But still, you know, you take that one year away and it was just a remarkable run.
0: Is the Pac-12 North as wide open as I think it might be?
1: I think if Oregon's quarterback, new quarterback plays well, they're a step ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario Cristobal has obviously done a tremendous job recruiting. They should have a really good defense. CJ Verdell. We've seen what he can do at running back, but obviously you're replacing Justin Herbert. And um, there's a lot of, of um, there's a lot riding on either a guy who's never played before, or I think actually it's not gotten enough attention that they got Anthony Brown, the uh, grad transfer from Boston college. He was a three year starter at BC. He was injured a lot, but also had a lot of great moments. So um if they get good quarterback play, they're the class of the Pac-12 North. If they struggle at quarterback, Cal has, is there, uh, not too far behind. Washington's a little hard to read because of the coaching change, but I think at this point we know that you can usually count on Washington to have a really good defense at the very least, and I don't expect that to change with Jimmy Lake. Oregon State's getting better. So um, I, the only one that I'm not that high on is Washington State. I just think that coaching change is pretty dramatic, and, and they could have a rough year. Other than that, everybody has reasons to feel encouraged. Yeah, Washington State—not only
0: with the coaching change, but unable to take the field at all before uh, before the sports shut down. Uh, interesting, you mentioned Washington State, of course, Mike Leach now at Mississippi State. Oh, by the way, so is KJ Costello. How much fun is that going to be to watch potentially?
1: Yeah, when it when when it was uh, when he announced his school, uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Obviously. But I know he – I mean, I think if Leach had been at Washington State, that would have happened a lot sooner. Uh, He wanted to go play for him. It's interesting to me how – I mean, clearly KJ Costello is going to play for him because he thinks that will help him – his NFL draft stock, like it did for Gardner Minshew. And that's totally valid. The funny thing is that for most of Mike Leach's tenure before that, his quarterbacks never got taken seriously by the NFL. So it shows you how much the NFL has changed in terms of embracing the air raid in the last few years. Yeah, I think it could be a lot of fun. Um, I think where Leach and then by extension KJ is hurt is, is the fact that they're not there right now. And, um, you know, he really could have used a spring practice to, to get started uh, in that system. But um, certainly a lot of potential there. It should be fun.
0: Yeah, and I know this. There are going to be a lot of full notebooks from the media folks running around Starfield. They're going to have mm-hmm. a lot more fun than normal. Even this, It's a lot more fun, it's a lot of fun anyway covering, uh, covering football in that state. As we wrap this up here, um, big picture, scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you as we speak right now that the season starts on time And goes without, uh, goes without disruption. How, scale of one to 10, how confident are you?
1: I thought you were going to leave it at start on time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) start on time, I would say like an eight.
0: Yeah.
1: But start on time and not get interrupted. I mean, honestly, a two, Uh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not having enough faith in how much our, as a, as a country and a system, we've been able to ramp up testing and soon contact tracing and all those things. But uh, I just, like I said before, when you got 150 guys in a program, people are going to test positive. People are going to get sick. It's going to happen. And because of that, I think there will be situations, unfortunately, where a team has to shut down for a couple weeks, if not more. So, um, yeah, I, I wish I people I say these things like this, and people on Twitter and they kind of say that I must hate football. I'm being so negative. I'm being so pessimistic. I'm just being realistic. Like. Yeah look at any situation where there's been a large group of people in one place. This is how it spreads. And hopefully the people will be smart about it. You know, the other factor is I have a lot more. If you ask me that question about the NFL or the NBA, I would say a 10 or a nine because they can control their setting. Colleges, kids live in dorms, fraternities, sororities. Um, They party you're not going to be able to stop college kids from partying.
0: Really? That happens? No.
1: (laughs) I know. I get a big kick out of these press releases from the universities about all these grand plans they have for social distancing in the classrooms. It's like when I was in college, you spent maybe two, three hours a day in classrooms. What about the other 21 hours? People are up to no good during that time. So (laughs) that, that to me is the real dangerous and scary part for colleges. Is that you can do all this stuff as a college football program, like, you can control what goes on inside your practice facility. And, and I do feel like that'll be a pretty well-regulated environment, but then they go out to the rest of the campus and they could get exposed to things. So, um, it's going to be a very delicate situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so many variables. Um, and I know, I I know that I'm sure that, that you hope you're wrong potentially on 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 those. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch
1: college football this fall. I want to enjoy it like we always do. And, um, Certainly, I'll appreciate it now more than ever. Yeah. Uh, but as a journalist, I just have to be a little bit realistic. There's a lot of issues they're going to have to overcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not wrong very often, <laughs> which is why you're Stuart Mandel, editor in chief of the uh, college football of, of uh, college football coverage on the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at sl mandel stewart thanks a bunch i don't know what took so long for us to have our first conversation but uh, hopefully it's not our last thanks a bunch stay healthy best of luck and hope we get a chance to uh, cross paths again this fall
1: same to you thank you so much for having me Really appreciate Stuart Mandel's time and uh, enjoyed
0: that chat. Again, I have no idea why it took us so long to uh, to cross paths um, like this, but um, really, really good stuff, I thought, from top to bottom. Not just with Stanford. He is a local guy. He does live here um, in the Bay Area and not just with the Pac-12, but he also, of course, has an ear to the ground uh, for the uh, national implications of uh, college football as well. And I'm, I'm I'm right there with him. It looks like As of right now, things are going to, or at least things are trending towards starting on time for for college football and fall sports. Whether they end on time, that's been my big concern, and it's growing even more as, as the weeks go along. And Stuart Mandel, scale of one to 10, how confident is he that the season is going to go without any disruption? He says two. Two. I can see that. I can totally see that. I don't want to. I, I hope we're both being overly skeptical here. And I hope we we'll both in the end get proven wrong. But I'm right there with them. I am right there with them. You want to respond to anything that Stuart Mandel and I talked about? Twitter is the best way to go. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. If you haven't followed me yet, go ahead. Do it. Why not? At Troy Clarity, last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And if you haven't subscribed to the TreeCast yet, do it now, do it now. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, no matter where you get your favorite podcast from, subscribe to the TreeCast and check out some of the uh, great conversations we've had on previous shows as well. I I highly think that it's, uh, it's worth your time and worth your while. Looking forward to coming back at you next week on another edition of the TreeCast. Thanks again to our special guest, Stuart Mandel, editor in chief of the Athletics College Football Coverage. Biggest thanks, as always, goes out to you for checking us out on the TreeCast. Don't drink and drive if you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay home. Wear a mask if you go out and be smart and be kind. We'll see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.